Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Being with the with the Jets at the time that I started broadcasting Jets games, they were uh, an intriguing group because Bill Parcells had just come to coach the team, and Ian Eagle was doing their games on radio. He got an opportunity to go to channel to, to CBS Television to do football, and it opened up a slot, and I got the opportunity to do Jets football at the right time. It was 1998, and they were good. The Jets were good. Uh, Keyshawn was now in his third year. Uh, Curtis Martin was there. They, the Jets had acquired him in a, a trade uh, with, with New England with Curtis Martin. Uh, Vinny Testaverde was having a career year, uh, and they were good. They were good not only offensively, but defensively. They had Brian Cox towards the end of his career, but he was a defensive leader on that team and a vocal defensive leader on that team. So all, all things considered, I don't know. I, I, I think about some of the talent that, that I have run through on a first-name basis uh, with regardless of which franchise I was with. But, you know, doing national games always held a special place in my heart. And I don't know, I look forward to, to, you know, continuing along this path, just doing talk and doing this podcast. Hello, hello. And now we welcome Keyshawn Johnson to the podcast. Hey, Keyshawn, it's Howard David. Hey, what's up, Howard? How you doing? Uh, delighted, talk. delighted to hear you. Well, let me let me clue, let me clue some people in. So I I I, I uh, sent out some uh, feelers because I wanted to try to find a way to contact you, and I went through radio, a radio station in L.A. and they made it happen, and you responded. And I get this text from you. It says, "Hey, old timer," and I'm thinking that is a nice way to greet me. Well, I remember you trying to lowball me on my place in Long Island. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, my wife remembered that. Uh, and I'll clue everybody in. We were looking to move, and I forget what town it was in. You can refresh my memory. Uh, Woodbury, Long Island. Yeah, Woodbury, Long Island. And I remember playing at golf at the old Westbury, uh, but that's a little further away. But in Woodbury, Long Island, my aunt and uncle lived there, so I was very familiar with the community. We pull into this community, and they say they got a, that a house is available, and I walk in, and I'm looking around the house, and it's nice, and there was photographs of the family, and I go, wait a minute. That's Keyshawn Johnson. So I said to the real estate lady, I said, uh, this is the owner of the house? She says, yes. I said, can you get him on the phone? She goes, probably. So they got you on the phone, and you didn't know it was me. And you said, hello? And I said, Mr. Johnson, I'm looking uh, to buy your house. How much you want for it? And I don't know what you said, 500000 whatever it was. 500000 for this dump? 
that, did you? Oh, yeah. Good, oh, for, yeah. good for you. So, in the years, I'm just looking it up, and it, it dawns on me that you were drafted number one by the Jets 1996. And I, th- I wasn't doing the Jets then, but I remember thinking, now there's a good pick. Uh, this guy's got tremendous credentials from Southern Cal and so on. And then a couple of years later, Ian Eagle goes to do television with CBS, and I get the Jets job to call it on radio. You guys had some team in 1998. Vinny was having a career year. Curtis Martin was led the league in rushing. You, of course, Wayne Krebet, um Brian Cox was on that team, as I recall. I thought you were the best team in the Final Four. Well, we, we certainly thought that we were. Um, Bill Parcells is our coach, our defensive coordinator, is the legendary Bill Belichick with a host of other coaches that went on to have head coaching jobs throughout the NFL and college. And it's just, you know, that staff was a really good staff, whether it was Charlie Weiss and, and, and Romeo Cornell or Al Groh and Todd Haley, who was the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, that staff, Scott Pioli, just everybody in as a whole, DJ Gouar, Wayne Corbett, myself, uh, 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 Curtis Martin, Vinny Testaverde, Brian Cox, Mo Lewis, Aaron Glenn, Marcus Coleman. I mean, we were, we were prime pickings to uh, go to the uh, Super Bowl. And we played the Denver Broncos in 98 in the AFC Championship game in Denver. We had a 10-0 lead in the third quarter, fourth quarter, and we surrendered that lead, wind up losing the game. The next year coming back favored by pretty much everybody to go back to the AFC Championship Super Bowl-type contenders. And then the next thing you know, we lose Vinny for the year. Uh, Rick Meyer takes over for a short period of time. Then we insert Ray Lucas into the lineup to try to make a surge, but it was a little bit too late. But we did have a really, really good football team. I think if Bill Belichick and Parcells didn't retire, Bill Belichick didn't leave after the 99 season, in the year 2000, we would have stayed together. We would have made another strong run. I remember the championship game in Denver. It was 10 nothing at halftime. And I was working for CBS Radio at the time as well, uh, uh, doing the Jets. I was doing the Sunday night football. Uh, and then again, Monday Night Football. And so I was going to do the Super Bowl, but I wanted to go there with the Jets. And things kind of fell apart. As a matter of fact, as I remember the opening kickoff in the third quarter, Dave Meggett was the kick returner, and the wind was blowing away from him, and he muffed the kickoff, and that was the first of, I think, three turnovers in the second half. Yeah, it, it went it snowballed from there. We didn't, uh, we just didn't secure the ball well. We didn't play well at all. It's, it's, uh, a situation that we wish we could have back, but you know, it happens, man. It's professional sports. I look at it. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I wound up doing the Super Bowl anyway uh, between uh, I think it was Atlanta and Denver in the final game. And years later, I worked some games on national radio with Dan Reeves, and we we, we had went out to dinner one night, and I said, you know, in '98, the best team of the Final Four was the Jets. So he says, what are you talking about? And I said, Coach. They had this, 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 and that. They, they just they lost the game against Denver because they, they turned the ball over. But personnel-wise, they were the best team of the Final Four. And so he's arguing with me, and I said, Coach, I respect you. I mean, you're a terrific coach, and I love you to death. But you're not winning this argument. And so here I am over dinner arguing with a guy that's got a lot of credentials. But I, I really felt that the team was that good, and, and unfortunately it didn't work out. But as I recall, that was John Elway's first Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and first winning Super Bowl. I yeah. believe we played the Atlanta Falcons that year and beat them down pretty handsomely. 
uh, and Dan Reeves was the coach at that time, I believe, of the uh, Falcons. Yep, yep. When we took him to the woodshed in, in, in the Meadowlands. So I'm sure that he didn't agree with you after the, 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 the ass whooping we put on him. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned before you came on, Keyshawn, we're talking with Keyshawn Johnson about the book. Just give me the damn ball. When that book came out, you know that there were a lot of people that their eye, eyebrows were raised. You know, who are you? And saying, who are you to say this? But you're a very confident guy. You believed in your own ability. And you believe that, you know, just throw me the ball and I'll score. Well, you know, people going to always have their own opinions about your performance or how you approach things or who you are. Um, I just always felt, like you said, confident and believe in, in who I am. I never got caught up in worrying about the masses or the way that people perceive me. Because if I if I do that, then I wouldn't be in the position I am in life today. Um, so for me, you know, the book was something that was, was agreed upon prior to the 1-15 season. And it just so happened to be shaped as a losing season in a book that was described in a title that I decided to say, give me the damn ball because I felt like, an opportunity to help my team win. You drafted me number one overall for a reason. You didn't draft me to have me on the sidelines because if you drafted me to have me on the sidelines, you could have took me in the seventh round. If that was the case, not that I would have been there, but you could have taken anybody. So that was kind of how everything shaped out. And if, and if we'd have went on and had a great year and we'd have went to the championship and all that, the book would have been about that. It would have been all great. It would have been about roses, but that wasn't the case. Yeah, well, in 98, you had a great year, 1,130 yards receiving, uh, 10 touchdowns, 83 catches. You had more catches when you played uh, with Tampa Bay in 01, 106 catches, but only one touchdown, which re- that's a really jumped off the page. You don't usually it's, see something like that. Well, it's, it's the offense that you're in. Um, we were in a run-heavy offense, play defense, kick the ball, get field goals. That's the style of offense that, Coach Dungy and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wanted to run. When we threw the ball, we threw it to me. When we ran it, we ran it to all-stop done. And we get inside the 20-yard line. We run, run, run. We don't get in. We kick a field goal. I mean, that's that was the cards that I was dealt. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those situations where everything was wide open and I could just run butt-naked down the field. If I caught the ball, it was always three or four people around because they knew when they throw, uh-oh, they're only going to throw to him. So it was one of those situations where – it was just tough. It was a tough deal to get 106 catches under the situation that I was in. It was it was tough. Four years with the Jets. What precipitated the trade to Tampa? Was there was there a possibility you were going to re up with the Jets? How did all that work out? Well, it, it just came down to the Jets wanting to um, you know try to trying to not do my deal. They didn't want to set a precedent with a two years left on a on a contract, which I clearly understood, but I had outperformed my contract to such a level that I would have been extremely underpaid, uh, you know, when I had more value than what they were paying me. So we approached them at that point in time about renegotiating my deal, and they didn't want to do it with two years left. And so at the end of the day, it basically became – hey, I'm going to probably look to shop you, and if I shop you and I get what I'm looking for, then you can get what you're looking for. And that was Bill Parcells, and and he made the decision. And I said, fine. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you want to trade me to go get a couple picks, 
so be it. And that's kind of how all that kind of transpired. And uh, we agreed to a deal with the Tampa Bay Bucks and going to Tampa. They agreed to two first-round picks. Tampa Bay made the move. I went and won my Super Bowl, and I got paid, and that was pretty much it. The rest was history, and and uh, Bill retired shortly after, and Belichick left that same year. So it became a different staff. It became a lot of different things, and, it, and I strongly in my heart of hearts believe if Bill Belichick would have stayed instead of writing the NYJ note, that I would still be a New York Jet that time period and probably ended my career with the New York Jets because of the relationship that I had with Belichick, I probably wouldn't have had such strong uh, demands on a new contract. He probably could have told me to wait a year, and I probably would have listened. Uh, you, you mentioned the two number ones that Tampa Bay gave up. It turned into John Abraham, who turned out to be a, a, a really good defensive lineman, uh, pass rusher, etc., and Anthony Beck, the tight end. Um, I think that Tampa Bay got away with murder. I mean, it's hindsight. <laughs> it's hindsight. Let's be real. Well, I think you know, based on the makeup of the Jets and the team and where we were at, I, I feel like the, the Bucks got the better end of the bargain because of the team, the makeup. I don't think I don't think that particular group of individuals made a deep run into the playoffs. Um, you know, I don't I don't believe so. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I don't believe that, that deep that they made a deep run into the playoffs. You know, certainly we went to the playoffs every single year that I was in Tampa and we happened to win the Super Bowl, which was the goal for the Buccaneers when they acquired me for the two first round picks. So they got what they wanted out of the deal and I'm happy I got what I wanted. But, you know, I identify identify myself with both teams really pretty much in my career. Uh, I support the Jets just like I support the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'm a Jet fan. I want to see them do well. I want to see them, uh, you know, continue to try and have success and build a new organization under Joe Douglas. Um, I think that they can get back to that. I like Sam Donald at the quarterback spot. Hopefully, Le'Veon Bell can get back to his old self again. They drafted the kid out of Baylor. That's a big plus for him. They got a left tackle in Beckton. So, we'll see what they look like this year. Hopefully, they get back to winning ways. Well, you can identify with what's going on and all this discussion about Jamal Adams. Uh, I mean, this kid's got it all. He's a phenomenal defensive player. He's versatile. He can play all over the field. He gives them a pass rusher even out of the secondary. And there's discussion about his contract. Um, now, it, it, there's some similarity when, when, when you talk about what you went through, what he is, he's still got, I think he's still property of the Jets for two or three more years. That, that brings up the discussion from a fan standpoint. Well, you know, if he's committed to them for this many years, why is this discussion? Well, the guy's out, he's outperformed his contract. And I think, and I think that the Jets will address it, or try to address it at some point in time. Uh, being in this pandemic has made things a little more difficult to get on the same page with people. But he certainly deserves to his contract issue to be addressed because he is one of the best safeties in the game. He's shown up week in and week out, um, and worrying about setting the precedent. Teams do it all the time. The uh, Carolina Panthers just address Christian McCaffrey's contract with two years left on it with no problems at all. So I don't see why the Jets will have a problem addressing Jamal Adams' contract with a couple of years left on it. He's outperformed it. The market is reset. And when the market is reset, you go back in and you take care of business because coaches certainly want to go back in and get new deals. When they win championships, they get extensions. So I, I don't, you know, it's, it's that whole argument just like college football. Like, why should he transfer? 
Why should he be allowed to transfer? Well, coaches are allowed to just leave. So you 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 try and understand where the player is coming from. You really do. And it's such a short window in the profession that they need to maximize as much earning power as they can while they have an opportunity to. Let me talk about two head coaches. Uh, and I've known Bill Parcells since 1982 when he was a defensive coordinator with the Giants. And then, of course, came to the Jets to call their games while Bill was coaching. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations with the man over all his time. Uh, I still talk to him a couple of times a month. Um, he's uh, he's a guy. He's one of five guys that have crossed my path in my life that made an impact on me, and I know he made an impact on you. Well, he, he certainly has. Uh, you know, I talk to Bill here and there. I haven't spoken to him nearly as much as I need to, and I, I need to continue to communicate with him a little bit more. Um. But, but he's always been somebody to bounce things off of and, and understand the game of, you know, the game in itself, not just football, the game of life. <clears throat> and when it was time for me to retire, and, you know, I played 11 years. I could have played another five or six if I choose to do so. But, he, you know, I had that conversation about going to ESPN and, and working in television. And, and he came to me and he basically, you know, said, hey, man, this, you know, there's not much more you go. You already won a championship. You know, you've done well off the field. What more is there left to do? You know, at some point, the assembly line is not going to stop. You'll get off and somebody else will get back on. But you have the opportunity to get off now and do something else. Why not take advantage of that situation while it's there? Because it may not be there in the future. Who, just, who knows? Uh, because I never was chasing the Hall of Fame. I never was chasing a yellow jacket. That was never my goals because in my mind, I'm good regardless to what people who make those decisions and putting people in the Hall of Fame and all that sort of stuff. I don't get caught up in that. I never have. Uh, I played the game to help my family. I played the game because it was fun. But I didn't want to be one of those players that was hanging on just to be hanging on. And so at the end, I just decided, you know what, listening to his advice and some others, that it's probably better for me to go ahead and step aside and let somebody else who really want to play this game, you know, 16, 17 weeks a year, go ahead and do it. And so he's just always been a sounding board for things like that. Now, am I right? Weren't you traded to Dallas when Parcells was there? Yeah, yeah. He, it's interesting because Bill traded me to Tampa. He retired the same year. Then two years, a year later, he was going to become the Tampa Bay head coach. Right. He had agreed in principle to the deal. And then he stopped and said he didn't want to take it, and he just kind of didn't do it. So we got John Gruden. But then he took the Dallas job the next year. And right at that point, he traded for me from Tampa to Dallas. And so then I left Dallas to go to Carolina to, to rekindle with Dan Henning. Because, again, a contract came up, and I wanted to address it, and Jerry and Steven didn't want to address it while Bill was on vacation. They wind up releasing me, unbeknownst to Bill, hmm. and he wasn't very happy with them, and that's when they acquired Terrell Owens, and it became a whole show at that point. And then Bill just decided, you know what, I don't want to deal with this anymore. He retired again, and then I wind up retiring, and we both went to ESPN, Back to he went back to ESPN and I went to ESPN the same year and we both were doing like Monday Night Countdown and stuff. Uh, you bring up Terrell Owens. There's no question about his talent. Never has been a question about his talent. 
I, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame based on his numbers, uh, but there are other factors in it. It seems to me that I recall that whole thing with Bill and the Cowboys and Owens that that was as big a bone of contention uh, that I don't think he really wanted him on that football team. No, he didn't. He didn't want him on there, and, I, and I'm a little more privy to the conversations than most. But it wasn't it wasn't one of his favorite off season moves that the Dallas Cowboys made under his tenure uh, with Jerry and Stephen. Uh, Terrell Owens was a good football player. He did some good stuff for him, but I think it's it's it was just a lot to have to um, deal with, you know. And some coaches don't want to deal with. Now, I hear that, and you can put a lot of players in that list. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. comes to mind. Let me ask you about that. Just a personal opinion, because you're paid to have your opinions. Beckham is supremely talented. We both, we both know that. Uh, but it seemed like that uh, may – I don't know what the problem was in New York, but the fact of the matter is it, it, he should still be there based on his talent. But it's Owens, it's Beckham, uh, maybe to a lesser degree, uh, some other players that have come down the pike – do you have the players in the locker room have conversations about like say you acquire a player that's a little bit controversial? Do players in the locker room discuss that? No, we don't care about that. That's that's left up to the media. Odell Beckham, there's nothing wrong with Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham does everything right. He doesn't get in trouble. He plays football. He helps the team try and win. Like there's this misnomer that he's like a problem child, and that's not true. It's it's. It's the furthest thing from the truth. And, you know, it's like you, it's weird because Julian Edelman can jump on top of people's cars in Beverly Hills and you don't hear a peep about it. It goes away. Odell Beckham can hit a net in a game and all we do is talk about it all the time. So it's like it's so unfair to characterize him as this problem for an organization. Dave Gettleman didn't want to deal and control him. And he wasn't gonna allow Dave Gettleman to control it. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. What happens with these general managers and these personnel people, they wanna and coaches, they wanna to try to control you. People are grown ass men. Okay? They they're grown and they don't wanna be controlled. And that's where you get the disconnect with guys like Dave Gettleman and guys like Odell Beckham and, and Landon Collins. There's a disconnect mm. that's there. And guys don't want to be controlled and told what to do and how to behave and how to talk. Slavery was abolished many years ago. And nobody, don't nobody want to be talked down to all the time. And that is part of the problem is you talk down to guys and you treat guys a certain way, you're not going to get the respect. And then the first thing you do as an, as an organization is try to deem them as problematic. And I tell people all the time, I ain't never had a problem with no head coach ever played with except John Gruden. And I really didn't have a problem with him. You know, I, I played. I played my games. I showed up. I practiced. I did what I was supposed to. His problem was more with me than it was with me with him. Well, because and that's it, just how guys are. And, but it turned into a championship. Yeah, well, I, play, I didn't worry about him. I just played my football games and let him talk. Let him do him. And then at the point that I was time for me to get out of there, I got out of there. But I wasn't going to allow his his view of me to get in the way of me winning the championship. I wasn't going to allow that to happen. So could you cite a specific instance, or, or is it just a... Well, it's just, it's, it's just it's, it's more just about the, you know, constant bickering and, and, and chatter and, and talk and just bickering. Like, just 
I don't know what you call it, just sensitive about everything. Very sensitive about everything. Well, it's interesting about the transition between Tony Dungy and John Gruden and the Dallas Cowboys from Jimmy Johnson to Barry Switzer uh, both produced a championship. Uh, but there are people, and everybody seems to be talking, and this, this brings me to today. Everybody's talking about how dangerous the Dallas Cowboys are. Until they beat the Philadelphia Eagles and win the NFC East, I don't think they've accomplished anything yet. Well, I think they're a very dangerous <coughs> football team. Uh, Mike McCarthy brings a different element to the game than, than Jason Garrett did. Uh, I think his coaching, Mike Nolan, defensive coordinator, their coaching philosophies and styles and how they approach it is different than Jason Garrett. So with new blood in as a coaching staff, the players are going to react a little bit different. They're going to respond differently. And I think that that is the hope for Jerry and Steven and the Dallas Cowboys is that Mike McCarthy can finally push them over the hump. Offensive line, running back, receivers, quarterback, defense, they got it all. Now they just put it all together. And I think Mike McCarthy potentially could be the coach to do that for him. I think uh, the New York Giants screwed up because it looked like there, there was a chance that he was going to New York. And for whatever the reason, they didn't pursue him as hard as maybe they should have. And so he goes to Dallas. Good for Dallas. And I'm not putting down uh, Judge at all because he's come from a good situation with Belichick in New England. But Mike McCarthy has got a resume. Right. And, and he went and wind up winning two Super Bowls with the Giants. So I don't know what their thinking was. I, I, I really don't. I have no idea. Um, they seem to be okay with it. Um, I've never seen a coach, you know, that came out of nowhere and become a head coach other than Hardball, who's won the Super Bowls in, in Baltimore. That's the only guy that I can think of. Um, maybe they're looking at that and saying Hardball could do it. And maybe judge can, a judge can. I I don't know. I don't. I have no idea what the what Dave Gettleman was thinking. Let me ask you this, Keyshawn. We're talking with Keyshawn Johnson. Um, I we we saw an incredible performance in the Super Bowl by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and how not not only the Super Bowl, but you go back to the opening playoff game where they came from twenty four down to Houston and beat them. Uh, maybe that was as much about uh, O'Brien making some curious calls with a 24-point lead, that that doesn't really matter. What I'm looking at is here you have a situation where we know it's hard to repeat, and that shines the light on the Patriots and what they were able to do for 20 years. Now Tom Brady's gone to your old team, the Tampa Bay Bucks. I ask you, who's got more pressure on him to win, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick?
or whether it was Drew Bledsoe, he's had other quarterbacks. Brady has never had another head coach. So I think, if anything, it's more proven that I can win games without you. And if, if I go to the Super Bowl, then that's just the cherry on top. Tough division, the NFC South. You got Breeze and the Saints. Now, we, we kind of believe that Breeze is playing his final year because apparently he's already committed to do television for NBC next year. Uh, I think when you look at what happened to Tampa Bay last year, they lose seven games by one score. Uh, Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions. That had a lot to do with it. Tom Brady's not throwing 30 interceptions in five years, let alone in one. Well, no, that's true. A lot, a lot of it had to do with the turnovers, and a lot of it had to do with coaching, too. Because if he's turning the ball over at a rapid rate, you're allowing him to do that because you keep calling the same plays to allow him to do that. Fair point. And, and so a lot of people are letting Bruce Arians and the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball off the hook with the 30 interceptions. It's like if you're watching him turn the ball over at record pace, why would you continue to allow him to do that? Why don't you pull the reins back and not allow him to do it so you don't put yourself in that position? Um, do I think that Jameis was – you know, kind of got the raw deal in the situation. Yeah, yeah. because if I'm a coach, I can coach him up and get him to do what I need him to do. If I don't coach him up and he won't do it, then that's a different story. But I've only had him for nine months. I haven't had him for four years. I've had a snapshot of him, and I already made a snap decision because Brady's there. Okay, but what if you're in the same situation minus the 30 interceptions, you only win nine games with Brady? Now what? Uh, is it still Jameis, or you going to point to, well, at least he didn't throw 30 interceptions? No, it's it's about winning. At the end of the day, it's all about winning. And But you, you look no at – No one says that they can't – no one says that they can't win just nine games. No one's saying that. No, 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 I understand that. What I'm saying is that with your people around Brady, with, uh, with Evans and Godwin and the tight ends they've got and Gronkowski – see, I'm not as gaga about Gronkowski coming back. He hasn't played in a year. I just don't know who you think you're going to get. You're going to get Gronkowski of five years ago? What do you expect? And let's not forget, Keyshawn, Tom Brady's going to be 43 years old. Yeah, but they get the name Gronkowski, and they're hoping that the name means a lot to, to defenders, and I don't believe it does. I believe he's going to have to show people that he can still play the game yep. at the level in which he has been you know, deemed as number one tied in, all those sort of things. What does that look like? from several years ago. Is it the same guy from the last time we saw him or is it a different guy from several years ago? Because if it's the last guy from the last time you saw him, that ain't much. It's like, okay, he, he made some plays. You know, and, and we'll see. I mean, you got it's remained to be seen, Howard. I, no, I agree. Completely agree. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we, we don't, we expect the season to get off on time. Um, you know, in what format, I don't know whether it's going to be with fans or without fans. I do know this. this. If the season starts on the 10th of September with a Thursday night game with Kansas City playing Houston, Houston's going to have, have to have a long memory because they basically gave a game away last year to Kansas City in the postseason. Yes. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Let me ask you about a guy who was the MVP five years ago. Now he doesn't have a job. I'm talking about Cam Newton. Where do you see that uh, eventually the story taking you to? Well, I think once once everybody can get into their facilities and touch him and test him and see him run 
and all of the things that they can't do right now, I think he'll be with a team and get signed. Uh, Carolina didn't do him any good by releasing him as late as they did. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, circumstances allowed that to happen, he's now forced to have to sit on the sideline until the facilities open back up for people to really get their eyeballs and their doctors to get their eyeballs on the physicals and everything else. But he's still a hell of a player when he's healthy. You just don't know if he can run or do some of those things. Yeah, we don't know how the uh, the injury factor is always is always the unknown. Let me ask you about about uh, the transition from the playing field to a broadcast situation. I don't mean to a booth, but to a studio. Uh, I I don't know. I, I don't know if you've ever done games, have you? No, no, not not one of my desires. Really? No, I don't. I don't, I don't it's, it's just never been one of my desires. I've had the opportunity to. Uh, be approached by several different networks over time to talk about doing games. It just hasn't been one of my desires. Talk about the transition into uh, into the studio, and, and you know, people are asking your it's opinions. Fun. The studio's fun. It, it was, uh, you know, first couple months was getting used to, kind of rocky. But I've been I've been doing uh, television work since I retired now, going on fourteen years, um, and it's been fun. It's been. All I could do is say it's been a lot of fun. You know, if I have... Now, I'm in the broadcasting business. I, I don't do studio shows. I basically spent my whole career doing games, whether it was NBA or the NFL or, or whatever. But I've always wondered on a Sunday afternoon, as an example, and I'm watching Fox, and there's like five guys on the set. And then you watch CBS, and there's five guys on the set. How do you get your point across with such a limited amount of time that you have to get your point across? got to be quick swift and you know and you got to just know you got to know you can't take all day you just got to know i mean like when we're talking about something get to the point i don't need to bore you to sleep by going on and on and on just get to the point the facts are the facts um you know and i like to tell people one of the main reasons that i love doing this stuff and doing radio and working at espn is you're not, especially for me, you're not going to get propaganda. You're going to get the facts. You're going to get the truth. And you're going to get the real stuff. You're going to get somebody who lived and breathed it and been there and done it at a very high level. You ain't getting somebody who's, who's guessing. Who's guessing? I'm not going. I'm not a guesser. I'm not going to guess that this is what took place for, and this is what this kid was thinking. I'm, I'm not going to do that for clickbait. Now you got to come out with a book called Just Give Me the Damn Mic. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> I appreciate it, Keyshawn. Thanks again for making it happen. Uh, you have a good day. Most importantly, stay safe. All right, Howard. Keyshawn Johnson. He's a character. <laughs> he's a character. But, you know, he's, he's a character that, that has staying power. I like that. The more I thought about it, just give me the damn mic. Turn the damn mic on. He won't, he won't say it, but when he first came out with that book, there were a lot of people in New York that... He raised eyebrows. Uh, were we used to a brash guy in New York? Come on. Come on. New York's got tens of thousands of brash guys. This is not new ground we're digging up here. This is the same old ground. If you do that, if you have that kind of a persona, 
in Kansas City, it makes bold headlines on the Kansas City Star. If you have that kind of persona in Minneapolis, it's going to make big headlines in the, in the, in the Minnesota Star Tribune. If you have that kind of boldness in Tampa, okay, it's going to make big headlines in the Tampa Tribune. It just is. But if you have a bold approach to things in New York and you're looking that it's going to make big headlines, you're looking in the wrong place. I'm telling you straight up, you're looking in the wrong place. New York City has had athletes. Keyshawn Johnson is his own guy. There's no question about that. He proved it. Just listen to what he had to say. You can agree or disagree. But he's entitled to his opinion, and that's what he's being paid to do now. He's entitled to his own opinion. You can argue it all you want, but he comes in to the fray with a name. And if you made a name in your playing career, chances are, with a couple of exceptions, and there are some, chances are if you made a name for yourself in your profession, in your sport, you're going to make an, a, a name in the media. John Madden has done it. Chris Carter did it until he, he ran into a couple of roadblocks. But there are guys that are on right now that I, I uh, that I, look, we're in a subjective business, period. We're in a business that you're going to agree or disagree one side of the, of the, of the room or the other. Do you like this broadcaster? No, I like this broadcaster. You have a separate opinion. The people, uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth, my opinion, does a great job on television. That's just my opinion. Shared by many, but refuted by some. When I see, uh, look, Tony Romo just got a huge paycheck to stay with CBS and pair up with Jim Nance. They developed some chemistry. Do I like them? Yes. Do they work together? Yes. Do they not say the obvious? Yes. That's why he's getting all this money. But this, this arm twisting and arm wrestling that's going on now with Monday Night Football and ESPN, I mean, come on, give me a break. If anybody has to take accountability for the mess that it is, it's the executives that made this mess. They started out with a three-man booth. Testator, Booger McFarlane, Jason Witten. Witten leaves after one year. And whoever came up with this cockamamie idea of this Boogermobile or whatever the heck it was, you try something new. Okay, I get that. If you don't try something new, then how do you know it's going to be a, a success or a failure? It was a failure. Because you took a guy out of the booth that you wanted to be part of your crew because of what was up here, his knowledge of the NFL. So I put him on some sideline vehicle. So now Witten leaves. They don't replace him. They leave it a two-man booth with Tessator and McFarlane. And you give it one year? How's that right? So now you're going to make a change. And I don't know what, what the final uh, dispensation is going to be with who takes over that Monday Night Football booth on ESPN, they try to get Peyton Manning, didn't work. Are they going to stay in-house? I'll tell you one thing they you can't do. 
and I know that Kirk Herbstreit's name has been mentioned. You don't take him off the college telecast. You just don't do that. The guy is wired to the college game. Leave him alone. Chris Fowler. Could he make the transition into a Monday Night Football booth? Yes. Because he's a solid broadcaster. But if you've already got a winning combination with Fowler and Herbstreit, why mess with it? I, um, I, I often shake my head at, at things that I've seen in our media, in the business of the media, in sports media. My, my favorite is this person. Your favorite is that person. This is the nature of the business. It is subjective. It's not about a proven track record. Yes, it is about a tr proven track record, but at least develop a track. Now, I'm prejudiced. Booger McFarlane's a friend of mine. I think he's being jobbed, frankly. And if there was an ESPN executive sitting across the room from me right now, I would say the same thing. Booger was jobbed. Because it seems that they're going to keep him in the organization in a studio role, at least that's some of the possibilities. <laughs> I don't know. How has certain broadcasters survived the test of time? How's Jim Nance been on the, on the mic on CBS for all these years? How's Al Michaels been on the mic for all these years? You survived the test of time, you've earned your stripes. There were certain guys that, that, I, that I find personal favorites, partially because I think they're very good, maybe secondarily because I know them. Ian Eagle comes to mind. Good young broadcaster with a lot of talent. If ESPN was thinking, now I'm not saying that he should leave CBS because he's got a nice thing going there between the NFL and, and college basketball, and he, by the way, he does the Brooklyn Nets. So he's got a full plate. I... Uh, would he be in addition to Monday Night Football? Yeah, I believe he would. Because he doesn't have to make a dramatic change. He's used to the network level. He's used to the league. He's been in the league a long time. So I think he would be fine. <laughs> I think, and I'm not knocking Testator. I think Joe Testator is a very fine broadcaster. But I'm just wondering out loud, Ian Eagle and Booger McFarland, would that work? I don't think we're going to get a chance to know that. Because they're going to strip the booth clean. They're going to start over. We don't have that all that long to find out. And frankly, it's not number one on the list of priorities. Because the bottom line here is we're towards the end of May. Major League Baseball's owners and players are at war right now. And I understand the players. I understand the owners too. The owners have got to deal with a bank account that is severely harpooned. But the players are thinking, you know, you're going to give me, what, cut my salary by half because we're playing half the schedule? Well, you know, fundamentally, it makes sense. But we've never had this situation before. We have nothing to draw the water from. We don't have any experience of dealing with certain situations. Baseball eventually will work its way out. We need baseball.
The NBA is going to work its way out. We need the NBA. Professional football seems to be on the right track. And maybe by tomorrow, the NBA and Adam Silver will have a format that makes sense for the continuation of the NBA schedule. And apparently, uh, the NHL is on the right track to develop a, a workable situation. So we hope for that, too. Because, I mean, I like the NHL. I really do. I've had a Ranger fan since I'm 10 years old. So I, I read for the, the NHL to come back quick. I want to see all sports come back under certain conditions. Safety first. And if it means you're going to be playing with an empty stadium short term, then do it. If it means that you're going to have fans going to games where they're going to be sitting six, seven feet apart, then do it. Do it whatever you have to do because these are not normal circumstances. It's a different time. We've never experienced this before. We're experiencing it with now. We'll deal with it. Tomorrow, I've got a couple of very interesting guests. Mike Vaccaro is a columnist uh, for the New York Post. Writes phenomenal columns about everything. You name it, he's, wrote, he's written it. He's a brilliant columnist. My favorite writer. He and Mike Lupica are my two favorite writers in the sports business. Longtime NFL broadcaster Bill Hillgrove, who does the Pittsburgh Steelers, will join me tomorrow afternoon as well. And this is the return of Ben Roethlisberger, so we'll get Bill's perspective on what that all means and how it all shakes out. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, able to get great conversation with George Blaha today, the uh, longtime voice of the Detroit Pistons, and Keyshawn Johnson, uh, former great wide receiver between the New York Jets and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and a guy that I've known a long time, and he remembered the story. I just walked into this house. My wife and I were looking at it potentially to buy it on Long Island, and I didn't realize until I went in the house, I see Keyshawn Johnson's picture with his family, and I go, oh, my God. So I said to the real estate agent, I said, get me the owner on the phone. I said, Mr. Johnson? Yes. I said, I'm a prospective buyer. How much do you want for this house? He goes, well, 500000 I said, for this dump? <laughs> he, was, he paused. He said, what? I said, Keyshawn, it's Howard David. He says, what are you doing in my house? And I said, I was looking to buy it. But now you're telling me what you're going to be selling it for? No, it's not even a maybe. He wound up getting his price anyway, so good for him. And the other thing I remember, we didn't bring it up. He hosted a Super Bowl party in Tampa and invited my wife and I to the party. And I got a chance to, to talk to Emmett Smith and his beautiful wife at the party. And uh, Keyshawn introduced me to Magic Johnson. I, the first time I had met Magic. Uh, and it was a kick because I've always admired him as a player and as a guy who um, has had a tremendous life outside of basketball. What he's done with his life in terms of the money that he has made, the businesses that he has started, deserves a ton of credit. And of course, beating, uh, beating HIV. And there was a lot of concern about that at that particular time. And I'll never forget being in the press room of the New Jersey Meadowlands and looking up at the screen and Magic announced to the world that he had HIV and there was a, you could drop a pin on the floor. Nobody said a word. We were just staring at the TV set going, what? But he survived that. So, been a fun day for me. Hope it's been a fun day for you. 
I want you to have a great day today, continuing along, and do me a favor, will you? Stay safe. And to close out the show, a friendly reminder that Howard David Inside Sports is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code MYPOD100, and they'll match your first deposit up to $1,000. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.